Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 13. Now, I got to say, those of you at home don't see this, but I can see out in the parking lot, and I saw some hands waving outside of the cars. They weren't outside the cars, okay? It's not that, but I saw the hands go up outside the windows, and I know uh, our amen corner is out there in in the parking lot, so y'all just feel free to honk when you would amen. Uh, I'm talking to you specifically, Janice and Debbie. Uh, I, I, I know you're doing it, so uh, turn with me to Psalm chapter 13. Uh, I, and I also have to say uh, to, to those of you who at home who couldn't make it out in your cars or were wondering if you should and, and that sort of thing, and, and we understand if you're staying home because you just don't feel comfortable getting out, that's great. But I want to say from a personal standpoint, it was so joyous, I can't come up with a better word, to see cars in our parking lot and know that those are people that are gathering to worship. Um, we are happy that if, if you are at home, like I said, we're, we're the Waffle House Church now, we're scattered and gathered, uh, and if that's what you're doing, that is great, but it did my heart good to see folks in our parking lot worshiping with us this morning. So, take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 13. Um, I, I'm not going to play the songs, I thought about doing it, uh, it's just a uh, a pain to do it. The message this morning is uh, how long, and the that, that comes straight from four times that David says to the Lord, "How long?" In the first two verses, "How long? How long? How long? How long?" And uh, if John, somebody, if if y'all will let me know if the uh, wireless doesn't work anymore, and I need to stand behind the pulpit, give me some sort of signal uh, to let me know. I know we had trouble with that last week, and I, I want to be aware of that if that happens again. Uh, but there, U2, which uh, for you millennials, that's a rock group, um, was a, 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 it's one of my favorite bands. Uh, it's, it's one of the uh, most expensive concerts I've ever been to was to go to see U2 uh, a couple of years ago in Houston. Um, Love them. They uh, they had two songs where they interestingly enough ask the question how long. Now one of them is is not necessarily scriptural, uh, though they they ask some I think questions that can be uh, certainly theological. Uh, one of them was Sunday Bloody Sunday. Now that sounds like an awful tune, um, but as believers, you know we believe in. Friday, bloody Friday, for us the, the Sunday's a resurrection, they were actually referencing a bombing that occurred um, in, I believe, Ireland, uh, and it, that, that happened on a Sunday, and they asked these questions in this song, they, they uh, just the, the first verse, I can't believe the news today, oh, I can't close my eyes and make it go away, how long? How long must we sing this song? They're, they're asking the same question David is asking. Uh, David's asking how long until this, this situation ends, and, and that's what they were asking. How long uh, will this violence, this was, uh, I guess, the Irish Republican Army and the, the, the terrorism that was in Northern Ireland, and I was young at that time, so I don't remember a lot that was going on. Um, how long, how long, because uh, tonight we can be as one. 
they say. And, and, they, and they go on and they describe what's going on. They ask a few more times, how long, how long must we sing this song? Then they have a second song that is entitled 40. Uh, it's also uh, has kind of a, in parentheses, um, uh, uh, you know, also known as um, how long. And it was kind of a thrown together song last few minutes. I read how they recorded it last night. It, it last 50, uh, 30, 40 minutes they had to record in the booth, and they had this music that they couldn't get to work, and they uh, decided, well, let's do one more song on this album. It was in 1983. And they threw this together, and, and Bono, the lead singer, took as his lyrics Psalm 40. And uh, he sings, I, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the mire and clay. I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. Then he asks the question again, how long to sing this song? How long to sing this song. Now, he's asking how long from a, for a different perspective from a different perspective. Sunday bloody Sunday is how long do we sing about the violence? How long do I have to sing this song about children dying? That sort of thing. And then the his song 40 is how long do I get to praise God? That as I was working on the sermon this week, those two songs came to mind for me, and they bookend really well and, and match really well, I think, what David asks and sings in this psalm, Psalm 13. Uh, read it with me. Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. And this Psalm 13, just like, as I said last week, just like most of the Psalms in the first part of the book, is a song of lament. Uh, this actually, though, is a song of individual lament. This was David pouring out his heart and then later on, that song was used in public worship for the people to pour out uh, their uh, lament as well. And he talks about an enemy, that, uh, specifically an enemy in the singular, and the primary enemy here is most likely death, which is interesting for our time, and it was probably death brought on by a grave illness. So, that really begins to strike home for us today. And the psalm begins in the first uh, two verses in the depths of despair. And as he works through this song, David climbs to the heights of hope. He begins in despair and he ends in hope. And notice, again, in so many, like so, in so many other psalms that we've studied, this is all because of time spent in prayer. He goes from despair to hope because of prayer. 
he, there's no change in the physical situation. There's no change in his physical condition. It doesn't say, and I, now I'm healed, therefore I praise God, or anything like that. He is only, we are only experiencing, we are only seeing his experience of a change in the spiritual, the cha- a change in the emotional, a change in the psychological, but not a change in the physical. Faith. How long must I sing this song of lament? And he ends up saying, saying, how long will I get to sing this song of joy? From despair to hope. So we see, I believe, three, three uh, easy divisions of this chapter. Verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 4, and verses 5 and 6 that take us from that despair, we, we, we can move through David's transition from despair to hope as we move through the passage. Verses 1 and 2, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will the enemy dominate me? These first two verses show us that David understands well that he is caught between two extremes. He, is, he feels like some sort of uh, uh, silly putty. No, uh, what was the stretchy guy? Stretch Armstrong, was that the toy? Now, I'm even getting back a little older than me there, so I had to see if Tom nodded. There we go. Tom knows what I'm talking about. Uh, stretch Armstrong, you had this figure, he was about a foot tall, and you could stretch his arms and stretch his legs, but most little boys wanted to cut him open and see what he was made of, and you play for him, with him for a little while, and then you cut him open, is what I understand happened. That's kind of what David feels like here. He feels like Stretch Armstrong between the enemy and the Lord, but at this moment, he feels like the enemy's le- uh, winning. He, he's leading, and, and that's what circumstances are telling him. Circumstances are telling him that the enemy is winning. Folks, circumstances lie. Circumstances are just that. They are circumstantial. It's just what's going on now. It is just what we can see. The truth in the spiritual realm is always well, I won't say always, sometimes God gives us a glimpse, but most of the time, the truth of the spiritual realm is much different than the circumstances we see. We have an idea of what's going on. We say the enemy is winning. We say that the Lord is losing. We say, as David maybe says, we say maybe, as David says, that where is the Lord anyway? What is going on? David looks around and all he sees is death. He feels forgotten in verse 1. He feels like God has hidden his face from him in verse 1. He feels like God does not care about his concerns, what's his, his agony, verse 2. He feels like the enemy is winning and God is losing in verse 2. David is in the depths of despair. David looks at his circumstances and says, God cannot be in this. I can't find him anywhere. God has hidden his face from me. 
the relationship in Old Testament scripture, they didn't really believe that God could hide, that God could not see what's going on. So when David talks about God hiding his face from him, what he's saying is that the relationship is done. God, you have forsaken me. We could fast forward to Psalm 22, and we could hear, why have you forsaken me? We can fast forward to Easter, or to Good Friday, and we can hear, why have you forsaken me? David feels like that now. God, why have you left me? The situation that David finds himself in, in this case, very likely near death because of a disease, tells him that God is nowhere to be found in it. But there's something. There's something, some little niggling, little nibbling, little, little, just an echo of a moment of a voice in the back of his head saying, there's potential for deliverance here. It is still possible that God steps in, that God does something with this. But he knows, he is confident, just as he is certain at this moment that he is done for, that the Lord has left him, he is equally certain that if anything should change, if anything should improve, it will only be through intervention from God Almighty. He knows that. He knows that. And we're going to see why he knows that in a few verses. But even though he knows that, even though he has that voice in his head, and it's distant, far away, it's, it's quiet, it's almost a whisper, and it's being drowned out by everything else that's going on, even though he knows that, he doesn't see the Lord in this. He doesn't see God working. He doesn't see God stepping in and stopping it. Does this sound like anything that we could be going through today? Do we look around and wonder why this is happening? Do we look around and ask questions like, why doesn't God do something when he, we know he could? And this is the question David is asking. And this is really what makes it worse for David. He knows the Lord is there, and that makes it worse. He knows God's power. He knows God's sovereignty. He knows that God is fully aware of what's going on in David's life. And yet he does nothing, it appears to David. And that hurts worse than anything else for David. Lord, will, how long will you just blow me off? How long will you say, I don't care what's going on with you? That's the question David's asking. David is asking the Lord why he won't do something when he knows he could. There's a, there, there's a moment almost, and I, it's, it's not these words, and I don't think I'm putting words in David's mouth. I think the, 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 the emotion of it, ca uh, uh, it, it is, uh, catches these words. David is saying, God, how dare you let this happen? How dare you not step in? How dare you 
leave me when I have served you. God is present. God is available, but apparently unconcerned and unwilling to intervene. Believers, a lot of us feel that way about circumstances in our lives today. And maybe it's not COVID-19 that's done it. Maybe it's something else, and maybe the virus is the next level for us. If believers feel that way, if David, a man after God's own heart, the apple of God's eye, felt that way, can we imagine what unbelievers are feeling today? How they are struggling with this God you serve is letting this happen? David looks around and he doesn't see the Lord. He doesn't see action. He doesn't see deliverance. All he hears is silence from heaven. And he sees, in his mind, the back of God's head. Now, when Moses saw God's coattail, he was amazed by the glory. When David sees God's back, he is hurt by the absence. I think that says something for, our, for how our situation affects how we see God, right? Moses saw the same thing that David thinks he sees. And, day, and, and Moses rejoiced and was just, oh my goodness, I just saw God. It was just this much, and it was just the back of him. I didn't get to see his full glory. David sees the same thing figuratively and says, how long? How long? But I said, that, that little voice in his head, David knows. Right? David has gone to the Lord. He is, he is addressing the Lord directly. And maybe he feels like he has to yell because God's not going to hear him if he doesn't yell. Maybe, maybe he's, how long, Lord? Uh, uh, me, David, the one, you're, I know you're not looking. You're watching whatever it is you're, you're watching. You're not, you're not looking at me. I don't know what has your attention, but how long, Lord? Notice where David goes anyway. He goes to the Lord, and he prays for deliverance. Verses 3 and 4. Consider me. And answer, Lord my God. There, there, is, there is weeping. There is emotion in these. I mean, it, this, is, this is David giving an imperative command to God. This isn't, this is, I mean, it, it is, it is a, a mournful command. It is a, a hurting command. It's, it's more of a beg than a command. But it is still David saying, God, do this. Restore brightness to my eyes, give me life again, he's saying there. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy, death, will say I have trampled over, I have triumphed over him. And my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. Now, David regularly in the Psalms lets his laments lead him to direct prayer. Even his lament was directed to the Lord. His confusion, his hurt, it's all to God. Folks, that's where we should take it. When we, when we don't understand what God's doing, 
Who are you going to talk to? Talk to the Lord. We've, you know, we, we say this in, in churches a lot. We, we, ministers, pastors say, if you have a problem with what, something that's going on, don't talk among yourselves and get a, a, get a group. Go to the pastor and say, hey, why are we doing this? And go to the source. That's exactly what David's doing. David's not sitting among his friends and saying, well, you know that, that God we serve, he, he, you know what he's doing now? He is totally ignoring me, and on and on and on. He is going directly to the source. He is going to the one he should go to. And he's taking everything to him. He is, if I can use a very graphic uh, illustration, he is puking up all of his emotion and saying to God, there it is. There's who I am right now. There's where I am right now. But just like always, the lament that he has taken to God, once he gets that out of his system, how long, how long, how long, how long, he begins to turn the corner and ask God to deliver him. He, he makes a, uh, lifts up a prayer for health, restore brightness to my eyes, or restore bright eyes. That, that is a, specifically a, a, uh, a request for health. I, you know, you, you, we, one of the things you check when somebody's sick is they look at our eyes to see if they're dull and, 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 and yeah, I don't know, uh, ma'am. Yellow, yeah. Uh, I have to ask my nurses in the, in the room what happens. I know they do it. I don't know why they're doing it. Um, and then they clear up as we get better. And, and oh, and that's one of the things, oh, you, they're, they're, they're so bright. You know, you, we, we say that today. We understand what that means. And that's what David is asking for. Life again. Health again. Brighten my eyes. Give me back. Take this sickness and give me back my health. But there's more to it here. There's more to this brightness uh, to his eyes that he's asking for than just a renewed health. It is also a longing for a renewed relationship with God. He is asking for a renewed vision. Let me see better. Brighten my eyes, Lord. Brighten my eyes to see you better. Maybe, maybe what he sees is not the back of God. Maybe he doesn't see God, not because God is far off, but because his vision is damaged. His vision is clouded. His spiritual vision is damaged by his physical condition. I know that happens to us as believers. Our situation, our circumstances say God is not near and our spiritual eyes reflect that situation and we say, well, we can't see him anymore because we can't see beyond our own circumstances. But we have a little more evidence here that he's praying for these bright eyes to see God again, to renew that relationship because in the verses 1 and 2, this belief of David's that God has turned his face from him, or from us, is evidence that the relationship is damaged. 
we know God never leaves us. The promise is he will never leave us or forsake us. David had the same promise. David was given the same guarantee that God would never leave him. Old Testament believers never lost God. They lost blessings. They lost uh, land. They lost uh, uh, situations, they lost cities, they lost kings, they lost lives, but they never lost God. God never left them. They might try to leave God, but God never left them. That was the promise that they had. So for David and for us, the belief that God has turned from us somehow, has left us somehow, is an evidence that our, or his, relationship with the Lord is damaged if you feel left it's because you left him not he left you he never leaves us and so David prays fix my health but Lord fix our relationship fix me yes he says consider me Answer me, look at me, answer my cry, but my cry is to see you better. See, there's no evidence in the psalm that this sickness, that this this disease, the enemy of death, was brought on by sin. There's just in these six verses, we don't get that feeling. There's there's no uh, situation discussed that says David did something sinful to suffer the consequence of this illness yet there is still a distance in the relationship there's still a breakdown of communication between him and God the disease itself the disease that is very likely just a part of a broken life on a broken world has caused dissonance and distance in the relationship with God. The disease was not caused by sin, but the disease has caused the sin of distancing. And that sin is all on the part of the author. It's all on the part of us. True knowledge of God and, and that's what David has, right? It's in the scripture. We know it. True knowledge of God understands that he never leaves us, even in our darkest times. So once David gets done puking up the lament, puking up every uh, emotion that he has, he immediately prays to God, renew the relationship. Because David, though he at that moment, and for many moments before that, looked and said, God has left me, he's turned his back on me, he doesn't care about me anymore. While he was doing that, he always knew God really had never left him. So that he could immediately, once he puked it up, say, now God, now that I've gotten that out of my system, restore my relationship. Let me see you again because I know you have never left me and I know you will never leave me and then he says in verse 4 that he doesn't want the enemy to win because then his foes will rejoice 
because he's gone, I'm shaken, I'm dead. David had a lot of enemies. Uh, any person in leadership does, but especially a king at this time that's defeated country. I mean, he had a lot of enemies, even in his own family. He had sons trying to overthrow him. David had a mess of a household. The one enemy that would give all of his foes victory was his death. And so he prays that that wouldn't happen. That God would sustain him and continue to fulfill the promise that he made to David. And then, verses 5 and 6, we see the expression of confidence. Right, so we've, we've been at the depths of despair. God, you've left me. We're kind of halfway up that mountain in verses 3 and 4, where David knows he hasn't left me, but why isn't he answering my prayer? So, Lord, again I ask, brighten my eyes, turn back to me, renew the relationship, heal me if that's your will, but more importantly, let me see you again. And then he gets to the heights of hope. In verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. It's, it's the prelude, if you will, to Psalm 40. Also a psalm of David where he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. I wish... Psalm 40, we're really Psalm 14. It's not, God chose it that way, that's fine with me, but that would have been great. Psalm 14 works well too. We'll see that next week. But when you, you too sings, how long, how long do we get to sing this song? Well, that's, that's what David's talking about here. I will sing to the Lord. Because he has treated me generously. Even in this despair, David knew. Remember, I told you, there's no, there's no healing in verses 3 and 4. There's no, suddenly the virus was taken away. Suddenly the illness was over. With Suddenly death no longer knocked at David's door. The despair is still there. The reality of the situation is still there. The circumstances are still there. And yet... In his despair over the situation and the circumstances, David knew. He knew because of what God had done in the past. I have trusted in your faithful love, he says. In the past, I have trusted in that. I put my faith in that. I knew you were there then and you showed up. Your faithful love Faithful all the time, you were always there. Love, always concerned for me, always had compassion for me. You were always there. I knew that's who you were then, and even in the midst of my despair, I know that's who you are now. David could look at his life and bring those times forward to this moment when he needs God but doesn't think he's there and use those times to say, yep, you're still there. Your testimony matters to you. If you want to write something down, that's a good one. Your testimony matters to you. 
Your testimony of how you have seen God work in your past matters to you. I am horrible at journaling. I told you all that before. When we started doing our D groups and the here journal, I told you all it was not going to be easy for me because I just don't write. I have tried to start diaries I don't know how many times. I, I saw people on Facebook, pastors and other people say, hey, y'all need to, y'all need to make a, a diary of this situation because you're, in, in 30 years, we're going to still be talking about this. In 50 years, I hope I'm still talking about it, 95, yeah, I'm going to live to 108. So yeah, 95, I will still be talking about this. But it would be great to have written down what you went through and what you did. I've done that once. Because I'm horrible at journaling. I just stink at it. And, and, and yet, those few times that I've done it, when we, were, when we were planting a church and when we were going through some things in Nixon and, and with uh, children and, and, and all of those aspects, I did it occasionally. And, and I'll, I'll go back and read and I'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And God got us through. See, your testimony matters to you. What God has done for you in the past will matter, will influence how you respond, will give you hope today with whatever you're going through. Not only, though, does your testimony matter to you, your testimony matters to others. What God has done for you in the past may be the very thing someone in your present needs to hear about. We come to the Psalms, we read Psalm 13, we relate to David's despair in verses 1 and 2, we relate to his uh, prayer for deliverance in 3 and 4, and then we can take hope from his testimony that God had always been with him, that David had trusted in God's faithful love. We can hear him say, my testimony makes a difference in my life today, so that we can say, David, thank you, your testimony makes a difference in my life today. And your testimony, your testimony, y'all's testimony, makes a difference in people's lives today. But David didn't just know about, uh, didn't just have confidence in the Lord because of what had happened in the past, though that was a lot of it. He knew in his despair that God was hope because of what he knew of the future. God had promised the future. Don't know when this was written in David's life. Don't know if he is at the point where he sees his children fighting over the kingdom. Don't know if this is when Absalom has revolted or if it's before that. Don't know if he has an inkling uh, of what's not going to happen, that he's not going to be able to build the temple. We don't know where this is in his life. But we know that throughout his life, God had promised the future. God had promised to take care of him and had told him that there would always be a Davidic king on the throne. And we see that even today. The son of David sits on his throne at the right hand of the father. 
He knew that he had that promise. But he knew not just because God had made promises to him specifically, but that God had made promise to those who followed him generally. Way, way, way back when Abraham, or rather Moses, was given the covenant name of God. I am who I am. I am who I will be. I am the same today. I was the same yesterday, and I will be the same tomorrow and forever. We have that promise from God. David had that promise from God, that the God who got him through last week would get him through next week. So it's not just that his testimony was sure, made him sure. It's not just that he could look at his past and say, God has done this for me. He could look at God's past and say, God has always been and God always will be. And that is what we see. This psalm gives us an indication. Uh, Maybe it's a metaphor. This is, the end of this psalm is where Israel was on Palm Sunday. This psalm specifically, the whole thing. For Israel, there was no sense of God's presence on Palm Sunday. They had the temple. They still did sacrifices. But they had Rome, and Rome wasn't good didn't seem like anything was working out. It was oppressive. They weren't in control. There had not been a, an Israel, a king in Israel, a, certainly not a good one, in some 400 years. The Herods were not. The, the, the last real king of, of Israel had been before Babylon, before the fall to Babylon. They had had puppets, they had had governors, but no, no Davidic king. And they're wondering, where is God? Has he, has he turned his face from us? Has he rejected us, his people? And then they knew they had a need for a renewed relationship and a spiritual healing. They really thought their spiritual healing would come By political means, though, they were waiting for that Messiah. And just like verses 5 and 6, Israel believed that God could heal them. And on that Palm Sunday, they thought they had their healing. They did, but they didn't. They had the healing, but it wasn't the way they expected. They thought they had their king. They thought they had their overthrow of Rome. Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they meant it all wrong. They were looking for the guy to come strolling in, riding in on the white steed in his shining armor. Instead, they got the Savior riding in on a donkey in his humble robes. That was what they needed, but they just didn't realize it. That's where Israel was on on Palm Sunday, right there where David is 
in Psalm 13. This is where we are today with COVID-19. I'm telling you, y'all, I'm not trying to make these things fit the virus. I'm really not. But I, I, I read from the commentary to Etta yesterday or Friday, whenever it was, Psalm 13 was just next, and, and, and I read to her that the quote from the commentary, most likely the enemy that David is talking about here is death, brought on by a disease. I didn't write the commentary. I didn't even really choose Psalm 13. I certainly didn't make sure it was coming to us today in this situation on this date, but God did. And we see, I believe, A position, a a, a situation for us in Psalm 13. We have a sense of confusion and abandonment in the midst of this virus. If you don't believe there's confusion, get on Facebook and listen to all the Facebook experts on infectious diseases and politics. And they will tell you both extremes and everything in the middle... Uh, all about why this virus is everything and nothing. How it's all a media ploy and how it's going to be a plague. And everything in between. There's confusion. And as I said earlier, if believers can feel abandoned by God, imagine what unbelievers feel when they've questioned the goodness of God all of their lives. And then they look around and they see this. And just like verses... 3 and 4, we have a need for God's intervention and God's healing. Many of us, many uh, people that I know tangentially, don't know them personally, uh, they are pastors. I know there's a, a, I believe he's a professor at uh, Southern Seminary. His teenage daughter has been on a ventilator for, I believe, a week now. Teenager with it. His name is uh, Timothy Paul Jones, if uh, I I believe I have that right. You have people like, um, is it Wayne Spears that has the um, ministry, uh, Tom's not giving me an affirmative look, so he has no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay, Uh, I was hoping you did. older guy has a, a ministry somewhere in Louisiana to pastors, uh, and uh, his wife has it, and I believe she's beginning to come out of it, but then we see others that, you know, friends and, and, and relations, I, I knew a pastor in Texas, know a pastor in Texas that thought he had it, and he got tested, and uh, did not, turns out, he, he, praise the Lord, but he, uh, he thought he did. So it, it's, it's hitting closer and closer to home. And we are asking God for intervention and healing, begging. It, it is an imperative beg. God, do this. And yet, verses 5 and 6, we believe God is still in control. Whether he heals or not, whether he takes the virus or not, we believe as believers that God is still in control. There's a third way, though, this psalm hits us where we are today. 
this is where all of humanity is with sin and death. It, it breaks down perfectly. Verses 1 and 2, for, the, for those, there, there's a true lostness with eternal death, our sure end. We can lament the fact that those without Jesus are going to die and go to a Christless hell, Christless hell for eternity. That is certain. It's not that God has turned his back on them, but they have turned their backs on God and they will suffer the consequences. There is a very real need, verses 3 and 4, for God to step in and intervene through his Messiah. Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord save us. And then there's a need for a response. Just like the response of David in verses 5 and 6. A need to place our faith in the Savior Jesus who can cause us to sing to the Lord life abundantly. Sing to him now eternal life. Praising around the throne forever. That is the promise. That is the need. This psalm speaks to us wherever we are today. Wherever we are around the world. When this Palm Sunday leads to Easter, we will sing. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord. When this Palm Sunday leads to Easter, we will sing. The believers, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they sang on that Easter morning when that tomb was empty. They certainly sang a few days later as they gradually came to grips with it. He really is alive. It led to singing. When this deadly virus gives way to health and healing, we will sing. Y'all, I am already planning the service. The first service when we can come back and meet in here all together. It may be about a three or four hour service, just so you know. We may do it for a couple of hours, we go eat, we come back and we do it some more. I don't know. If you're going to gripe about it, don't gripe to me because it's going to be too good. Uh, oh, I heard some horn honking or I'm, I'm told the horn. All right, uh, hey, we, we're going to do it. When this is over, we will sing. When this body of sin and death, I heard it again. When this body of sin and death gives way to a new, incorruptible body that sees the face of our Savior as we are seen, right here to right here, no six-foot distance necessary, when we see that, we will sing. I will sing to the Lord. That's where we are. What should I do? What should I do? Psalm 13 tells us to take our true feelings to the Lord. He is not scared of how we feel. He knows our thoughts anyway. So take them to him. Admit, even in sorrow and fear, your need for him to step in. Verses 3 and 4. Admit your need for him to step in. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And then, what should I do? Rejoice in the biblical truth that he never leaves you 
as his child. He will never leave you. You will never be separated from him if you are his child. And he is firmly in control of your future as well as your present. But maybe as an unbeliever, you struggle with that. You're, you're what I said first, or, or what this psalm means for uh, someone in, in, in a situation of not trusting Jesus as their Savior, not being a believer. Let me tell you, if you're struggling with that, this virus is just the, one more example of the brokenness of this world. God's design was not for the world to be this way. This virus, among all the other viruses, is a result of sin. The earth groans. The earth suffers under the weight of sin just as we do. And as Kirk talked about this morning in our Connect group, that virus of sin is deadlier and more sure and is eternal. This virus that we're facing now is possible and probably usually temporary. Sin is not. The results of carrying the virus of sin are eternal. They are also temporal. They are right now leading to brokenness in this world. The virus causes brokenness. Our sin causes brokenness. Our sin creates problems in our lives, creates distances in our relationship that go far beyond the six feet of personal distancing. And it's a brokenness that we can't fix. They will likely find a, an inoculation. Can't think of the other word for it. Vaccine, thank you. Vaccine for this virus. The only vaccine for the virus of sin is Jesus, his blood, a, a, a transfusion, an infusion of the Holy Spirit based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true fact of Jesus' death, burial, literal resurrection, him taking our sin on the cross, him suffering our punishment, and then him rising from the dead, proving that he had beaten death and sin. And if we will repent of our sin, if we will quit wallowing in the very virus that kills us and trust and believe in that gospel, trust Jesus and believe in that gospel, we will recover. I love that that's the word for our three circles. We will recover from the sickness of sin and we will begin to pursue God's design. We will begin to live that life abundantly. We will begin to see heaven on earth in our lives. And like David, we will be able to say, I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance from sin. And I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously when he gave me his only son to die in my place. That is the promise of Scripture. Father, we thank you for the very gift of your Son. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your presence.
today and every day, regardless of the situation in which we find ourselves, regardless of the circumstances we're going through, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that glorious day when all sin, all pain, all suffering will be wiped from the believers. And we will see Jesus face to face and we will worship and sing for eternity. But God, I pray right now for those who do not have confidence in their salvation. That do not know that if the virus or something else takes them out, they will have the promise of eternity with you. They have either in the past willfully decided they are not going to trust you or they've just been confused about how lord i pray today that they will make the decision no longer to willfully disobey or run from you and that you would clear or as david said brighten their eyes to see salvation through jesus christ and that they would repent of their sins a simple however they want to do it prayer right where they are right now Repent of their sins. Acknowledge that they are sinners and say, Lord, I don't want that life anymore. I want a life in you. And they would trust Jesus Christ. Lord, I place my faith and trust in you and I ask you to save me. Bring me into your family. And that they would begin to follow you and see what an abundant life through you looks like even and especially in the midst of trials and tribulations and persecutions and viruses and death and disease. Lord, move on hearts this morning, I pray. Sitting in homes, sitting in cars, wherever they may be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what's your decision today? Maybe you need to accept Christ. And if if you do, you can message one of us on Facebook. You can uh, go to, uh, you're probably on the church's page or maybe on YouTube. Go to the church's Facebook page, message us that you want to uh, accept Christ, that you have accepted Christ. You don't need one of us to do that for you. We can't do it for you anyway. So you do it. Let us know of your decision. Maybe you want to be baptized. We'd love to do that whenever they let us come back together. But we'll do it. Maybe you need to just, as a believer recommit, return. Maybe your prayer today is that, Lord, I want to see your face again. Bring brightness to my eyes again to see you. And maybe you have other decisions, and right there at your home, right there in your car, you need to pray this morning that you want to see the Lord again. Something in your life, maybe it's not the virus, maybe it's something else, has clouded your view of God, clouded your vision of him. He's never left you. He's right there, believer. Unbeliever, he's calling you. He wants to be your God. And he wants you to accept his son. And you can do that today. We're going to worship now. You may have other comments you want to make on Facebook or somewhere else. Let us know. But we're going to sing one more song. And you worship with us as we do.